What's up, and welcome to the Crude Oil Podcast, a weekly uncensored Edmonton Oilers podcast with your hosts, Sean and Greg. All right, welcome to episode 10 of the Crude Oil Podcast. Uh, it's, it's episode 10? I didn't even know that. I know, we've creeped up very, very quickly on this. Um, we're kind of in the dog days of summer. Uh, as we as we hear your puppy kind of um, breathing in, yeah, he he's feeling it too. Um, yeah, so we figured today would be a good um, opportunity to kind of go through some of the, I guess, trades that we wanted to see or potential um, changes we'd want to see. Uh, we'll go through a couple actually that are are brought up on cap friendly, and then um, yeah, I figure we we play a game towards the. The end of things and uh, see where that kind of takes us. We're we're really trying to make up for time here. Yeah, this is gonna be a little fly by the seat of our pants kind of episode, just because it's been a slow news week. We've it's only been four days or whatever since the last podcast we did, since we delayed it until Tuesday because of Greg's travel. But mm. this might kind of be what the off season is is a lot of uh, not time filler, but trying to be a little bit more creative with it. No kidding. Yeah. Um, of course, we have the. I, I noticed we didn't even talk about the Avs and Lightning series, but have you been watching it at all? Honestly, I haven't been watching it too much. Yeah. Um, but I have got many messages from my two Avs friends as they're watching the watching the games. It's funny. I, I have the same situation. I have uh, a buddy of mine who's a diehard Avs fan, and every time he texts me, I was like, "Oh, I should check in and to see, like, as a good friend would, <laughs> just just see what's going on in the game." But yeah, I haven't I haven't paid attention to anything. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of feel like whenever your team's eliminated, it's tough to feel glued to it. I remember as a kid, like being glued to the rest of the Stanley Cup finals, but I don't know what it is this year. It's not even this year. I'm, yeah. I've never really been one to watch too much outside of my own team. Like, yeah. if I'm, say, I'm hanging out with the guys, we're having drinks or whatever, and somebody throws on the, the Toronto Montreal game, I'd probably sit there and watch it. Mm-hmm. But I won't be like sitting there working during the day and be like, oh, I can't wait for the Toronto Montreal game tonight. <laughs> so before uh, we get into that, have your thoughts changed with, or get into that, get into the, our actual podcast. Um, have your thoughts changed with the, the finals? Do you still want Colorado to win? Well, yeah, I still want Colorado to win. I think I'm just a little tired of the whole Tampa narrative because it's getting a little old. Yeah, it'd be cool to see them win three in a row, but. I don't know. It kind of maybe that'll shed too much light on the fact that uh, the whole lower tax rates down there does make a difference where they can build a better roster because they can offer players less money. I the, think the fact that like Hedman and Kucherov and Stamkos are all making like nine and a half per year and Vasilevsky, they're all under 10 million, I believe. Like it's absurd that any of those players should be being paid under 10 million dollars. I think you make a valid point that really needs to be addressed with the NHL. Um, when you consider the the tax free areas that you you go in, like it it's such a benefit to to certain teams. Like you look at the the Golden Knights too, like in Nevada with no state tax. Um, and then you go to some heavier um, taxed areas, and and it's tough to attract the players that you want. Like, well, you... I saw some people making fun of that, I guess, because like you know how Arizona lately has been the place to trade all these like terrible contracts and stuff. <laughs> yeah, and the like the players probably don't mind; they don't have to play. Plus, suddenly they're getting more money because they pay less taxes. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's totally true. Like it's it's kind of whack, but um, it, it's the situation we're in. I for me watching this, I don't know what it is, but my my. My thoughts for, uh, or my wishes for Colorado to win have deteriorated. Why uh, is that? I just, I don't know. <sighs> I, <laughs> I feel like they're very much a over-embellishing hockey club. I was wondering if you were going to go back to that. Yeah, I'm... and it's it's such a sour take um, from an Oilers fan that got swept by Colorado. Obviously, their fans didn't leave a great impression on me. Um, but then you also include the fact that, like, I I love Kale McCarr and uh, Nathan McKinnon as players. I think they're fantastic. But the fact that Kale McCarr was whining and bitching and complaining the entire last game that I watched, like, it's, it, dude, it's your, what, first year in the league? 
Like, calm down, man. It's Makar's, like, third year in the league. Is it? Is it really? Yeah, he's... Well, he made the jump into the playoffs two years ago. First full year, though. No, last year was his first full year. Well, I didn't think he played the full first year. Okay, well... Jeez, Greg, get get your facts Fuck, straight. Yeah, yeah, fake news, man. Let the uh, let them come at me now. He's uh, a he's a Norse trophy trophy winner, so you can't really true. give him a hard time anymore. He's earned that respect. <laughs> but I do know where you're coming from because we kind of got to watch it firsthand. That it felt that way at least, and like I'm not gonna sit here and say that I'm not biased toward noticing those things more so, and like I'm sure Edmonton's guilty of doing that. But I think part of it is those type of infractions happen so often to players like McKinnon and McCarr, similar to Edmonton, where it happens to McDavid and Dreisaitl, that when they do embellish something, it's more obvious because they do it more often because they're being like infringed when they're playing more often. Mm. So it just happens more often. And I just said more often like eight times. But you made your point. Yes. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is. So, I mean... It's like picking the worst of uh, two evils. Well, that's the thing. Because Tampa, they love to bitch and moan too. There's, yeah, there's no worse player who's losing in the league than Kucherov. He just turns into the dirtiest little shithead on the ice, just out there cross-checking, slashing everybody whenever he's losing. And I know it was funny because um, everyone was bitching and complaining about the the goal that the Avalanche scored when they had six guys on the ice, and the immediate comparison back to the year before when Tampa scored with seven guys on the ice in the Eastern Conference Finals. It, it's kind of like, it's it's karma. It's karma. So. Well, at the same time, Tampa had seven players on the ice at the same time as Colorado had six. And yes, like I'm not going to sit here and say that that wasn't too many men because there was probably five right. seconds in between Kadri being on the ice and Mc, or McKinnon getting to the bench. Yeah. But I don't know. It's... Overtime in the Stanley Cup final, they're not going to call that shit. That's true. And then I say that, and then they go in the next game with three minutes left, they call that shit. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe maybe it's the refing, guys. Maybe the refing's just inconsistent. Where have I heard that before? Honest to God, I wish that the refs, and it's been mentioned like numerous times, I wish that the refs had their own... Um, uh, review board? Something to re- hold them accountable? Review board, even just answering to the journalists after the game. Well, that's the thing. There should be some sort of accountability. It kind of seems like it's like the players and mm-hmm. the teams, and then the refs are just this separate entity that just do their own thing. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know if they have some sort of internal system to deal with this kind of stuff, but clearly it's not working. They're just, I think we were talking about this a while or a while ago when Edmonton was still playing there, that we were hearing refs you suck chants from every single crowd, every single game, oh, in God. every arena, like... There's no escaping it because every team has bad calls against their team nowadays. Yeah, exactly. So exactly. maybe that's indicative of the state of refing right now. And the fact that maybe refs just can't keep up with the speed that the game's gotten to nowadays. At least four refs on the ice. There's a reason why they had to add one no kidding. a while back. And I think they need to look into other things as well to try and improve that. Yeah, I. there, there needs to be some sort of reform for next year. But we'll see if we we get there. One last uh, thing I just wanted to to ask you about before we get into the the Oilers stuff. Did you see Ovechkin playing soccer? Oh. <laughs> My favorite comments on that after he scored is like looking like Putin out there in his men's league game scoring <laughs> ten goals. Hilarious. Uh, the one thing that I uh, I love too is just the clip of him bowling that guy over. <laughs> Well, he was like a foot and a half taller than that guy, probably 100 pounds heavy or heavier. Just looks like a football player running over a child. Oh, man. That guy can do no wrong. I mean, he could do wrong. I'm <laughs> not going to sit here and say that he can't do wrong, but um, it was entertaining to say the least. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, let's dive into things. I have two trade proposals to bring forth. Um I know that you've got a couple uh, people you want to point in as well, and we're going to go through some of the ideas on um, on cap friendly. Um, I, I would like to preface that I haven't balanced everything to make sure that the uh, the the cap, cap yeah the cap implications work. I think they will based off of the the ideas that I have set forth, but definitely the ones we go through on cap friendly were. So um, I'm going to jump into my first proposal. Um, and it's a little bit off the beaten path, but I, I kind of alluded to how the fact I think 
Stuart Skinner needs a little bit of a uh, um, a little bit of support heading into next year, and if even if he can split 50-50, uh, I think that a good uh, a good option out there would be to look at James Reimer in San Jose. Now, the reason, first off, that I go there is they've got three goalies backlogged in San Jose. Uh, they got Ka- um, sorry, they've got jeez, uh, Louise, Greg, uh, Kakinen. They have Capo Kakin in there? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they picked him up at the trade deadline. And then there is, uh, Jesus, Aiden Hill uh, Aiden as Hill. well. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so they're, um, they're, they're hitting kind of their max. They've got to move one guy out. Obviously, you're not going to move Kakinen out as soon as you trade for him. I think James Reimer being the 34-year-old, uh, kind of the odd man out, I think he's going to be someone that is available for, um, for trade. And I think he would be a good, suitable fit. 34 years old, uh, $2.25 million cap hit for the next year. And you're looking at his goals against average. Like, it's 2.9 last year. That's that's not horrific. 9-11 save percentage. Um, he has a wealth of experience. And he's never been kind of the guy that has been the number one. So I think him coming into a situation where he's used to playing, I think would be a good... Uh, Good fit for the Oilers, at least for Stuart Skinner as well. Um, now, in order to get him, you have to kind of look at what whatever San Jose is going to need. And when you look at the Edmonton Oilers, I don't really know the like. Eh, sorry, let me let me base this off that Mike Smith has to retire. That's the only reason that you would uh, well trade for him i think all of these things that we're talking about here and i think it's kind of the what everybody suspects will happen is smith is going to retire yeah um i know it came out that holland asked both him and keith to make it clear whether or not they were going to retire before july 1st so Mm -hmm. that timer's ticking down we'll probably find out in the next week or so whether or not smith will be retiring Mm -hmm. but from what i heard from all his post-game stuff the fact that he was playing through some injuries and like does he want to go through a whole nother off season of training and stuff like that? Or is he ready to just hang him up? Like he's made more than enough money over his career. And he, I could see him being one of those guys who will have a career in broadcasting or something afterwards. Cause he's got a personality. So I could see him doing something like that. So yeah. So yeah. sorry, go back to your James Reimer. No, the, the offer I was going to bring forth is maybe you can offload that Barry contract with a pick um, in order to get him in. So you want to do Barry and let's just say hypothetically what a third rounder for yeah. Reimer? Yeah, yeah. In my opinion, that is an overpay. Yeah, I could see you being able to get him for just a third rounder. To be perfectly honest with you, really, mostly because San Jose has a lot of cap problems too. Right, but so that's that's kind of the reason that I bring back and <laughs> and I'll uh, kind of reach back to our last episode where I was. I was arguing about CC, and the only reason that I brought up that possibility was just the fact that I think in order for the Oilers to make significant changes, they have to clear up some um, cap space that they have from overpayment. Um, so when you look at that trade, like it'd be nice to bring Reimer in. It again, if if Smith retires, you've got 2.2 cleared up, so you're paying an extra 50 grand for um, for Reimer. But yeah. it'd be nice to see if you can kind of move an asset or kind of a, a depreciating asset for something that'll clear up some cap space. I don't know. Well, the thing is, like, I'm down for clearing up cap space, but Barry is not, to me, clearing up cap space because, he, like we were talking about before, he has value. Right. So it feels unnecessary to give up that value for, like, Reimer when we're also including a pick. Um, and... Like when I was talking about how San Jose has cap tr- trouble, they mm-hmm. have just under six million dollars in cap space, mm-hmm. and they have eight RFAs to sign with only that much cap space. So if anything, San Jose is going to be looking to unload cap cap space. I also see San Jose is unloading a lot of like uh, players this year. Well, their defense is just stupid with those yeah. contracts. Yeah, like Carlson at eleven point five, Burns at eight, Vlasic at seven. Yeah. Like, they're just absurd contracts at this point for their aging defensive core. Yeah. 
Yeah. So very, very they're going to be looking for any excuse to get rid of money. Plus, they still they have Martin Jones buyout for the next five years still on their books. I was just looking at that too. Holy fuck! There's twenty six and a half million dollars in players that are tied up over like the age of thirty two. Yeah, just so in their defensive core. It's a little aggressive, but that's what happens when you sign those contracts. I no know kidding. a lot of people might think that might be us with Nurse in the coming years. I don't personally <laughs> think so, but that's what they're afraid of is having situations like this, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's my first idea. Uh, do you want to bounce to yours? Well, my idea is a much, I would say, more blockbuster-style trade. Okay. Which is for Connor Hellebuck from the Jets. Let's do it. So I think Edmonton knows everything Connor Hellebuck brings. He's more than capable of goalieing a team during the playoffs. He's a starting goalie through and through. He's won the Vesna over the past few years. Like, I think he's a pure starting goaltender. Yeah. The only thing is, if we were to get him, I think you'd have to pay quite a bit to even have a chance. Oh, totally. So it would be like something along the lines of a first... Poliarvi, Samarukov, and maybe, like, well, not maybe one of our goalie prospects, preferably not Skinner, because I'd like him to be our backup, but mm-hmm. like Rodrigue or Fanti or something like that would be gone. Yeah. That's thinking about it. Like, I don't know if you make that trade without losing Stuart Skinner. Well, that's the thing. They're going to want somebody to fill in because they right. don't have a goalie, I don't believe, in the system right now. I'd yeah. have to check, but. I think, just personally, I think if it's not Stuart Skinner, the Oilers are going to overpay in the players that they do give out. So you think they'll have to like give up like a Borgo or something like that? Yeah. In prospects instead? Yeah. I, if it's Rodrigue, um, I think you're looking at Pugliarvi, a first. Well, and that's that's just the rights to Pugliarvi, right? Um, True. And then... Yeah, I don't even know where you go from there. Well, I think it would be good. Like, it's exactly what they need. Yeah. But it's just a matter of all of these trade situations is like, what are we <laughs> What are we willing to give up? Sorry, my dog just hit the table. He's being stupid. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, what are we willing to pay and lose in other positions to give ourselves a chance? And the only way I think Edmonton could possibly consider, like, doing these trades is to trade, like, one of their wingers. And to trade like prospects, preferably defensive prospects, because we need our young forwards to come in mm-hmm. and fill in those voids if we're trading our wingers away. Uh, so okay, so based off your feedback, just looking at uh, cap friendly, there is a proposal. Uh, it was rejected because of the cap hit, but there can be some some tweaks. The one that was brought forth is Stuart Skinner, Ryan McLeod, and Dylan Holloway. For Connor Hellebuck. And the first round pick. And the first round pick. I missed that. So the Dear only way Lord. I would consider that is if you minus one of those assets that's not the first round pick at a minimum. Because I think all of those guys have a, have value. And I don't really... I definitely don't want to get rid of McLeod. I've been saying it that yes. he's, yep. he's my favorite player right now. I don't want to see him leave. I, uh, I think that's an extreme overpayment. Well, like, I understand why... Somebody would say, like, because Connor Hellebuck's really good. They're going mm-hmm. to want value in that trade. Yep. But Edmonton's not going to be trading these incredibly important players for our future. No. To give them a chance. Like, I think if McLeod got traded, like, so be it. But we're not also trading away Holloway, who would be filling the McLeod void likely in the roster. Yeah. So we're trading away two of those players, and then we have nobody to fill that position, really. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. I... I don't know what you do with uh, that in terms of trying to get him here. Um, yeah, I think it just starts with the first and Stuart Skinner, and then you build up from there. Okay, so I'm going to throw out my second option here for uh, a look. And I guess if you're looking at the nuances between the left and right side of the Edmonton Oilers, uh, it kind of creates more of a, a backlog. But I was looking at the rumors with... Jake DeBrusque. I mean, we've been talking about it for two years. Let's dive into the what it would cost to bring him here. Um, I was thinking like Pugliarvi in a first, and that's that's on the basis that Pugliarvi signs, you know, a reasonable contract here. 
Um, I don't know if that even is enough to bring him over. So um, we'll uh, we'll have to look into that a little bit. Like, well, I think that's enough from Boston's perspective. They're just looking for a roster player to fill in that role who can play in their top nine, just like DeBrusque, because. Boston's, I heard Bergeron's coming back for another year, so Boston's looking to still compete for at least another year. So they're not going to be looking for picks and prospects this year. And from my understanding, too, like they just, Bruce Cassidy didn't like DeBrusque. That's what I thought it was. Well, that's true. Like maybe he needs another year there with their new coach, but there's got to be a reason. Bruce Cassidy was a great coach. Yeah. And there's got to be a reason why he didn't like him. And I have a feeling based off of the Boston model, it could be that his defense is rather poor and he just didn't fit their system there because they're a defense first team. Yeah. And I don't know if we need more offensive players in this town compared to what we already have. We need defense and the focus on defensive play because that's where our team has struggled for years and years and years. And I think people are finally realizing that now that we have depth forwards and stuff like that, that there's still just this black hole on defense. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, coaching and stuff, with <laughs> Bruce Cassidy leaving, did you see, uh, this is kind of a little bit unrelated, but did you see the uproar with Dallas Stars fans with the... Pete DeBoer hire? Yeah. I didn't see the wow. uproar, but I'm not surprised. Like, I'm they like, are also... pissed. I'm a secondary, like, Devils fan. I've, like, followed them as long as I've followed Edmonton, but mm-hmm. Edmonton's just my team because it's local as well. So it's easier to follow the team. Yeah. But DeBoer was like awful. After in, he took them to the, the cup in or the cup finals in 2012. And then after that, he was just God awful. Yeah. And just ran this, that team into the ground. And then he goes over to San Jose does okay. In his first year two, runs the team into the ground. Same with Vegas. And now Dallas should be afraid too, because I think Dallas getting rid of Rick bonus. They're ready for a young gun to come in. Mm-hmm. That's one thing I absolutely despise about the NHL is this coaching carousel. Right. It's, it's like the same if, guys. Over if I were to get fired from my job, there's no way another place would be knocking and be like, you want to come work for us? Exactly. Like, there's a reason you got fired. The only one I can like argue is like like Bruce Cassidy, for example. He was successful. He got Boston to the cup final and like made playoffs five years in a row. But it was his first tenure, right? Well, exactly. Like- but it's the same thing why I'm happy we signed Woodcroft and actually gave him a chance. I was afraid we were going to say fuck it and give the position to somebody else who got fired from their other job. Well, and then when you think of the fact that like you have all these players who develop, I know we're kind of getting off the ventured path here, but uh, you you have to be in line with the players that you're developing. And how many times have we run into like a situation where there's a coach who just doesn't know how these players are motivated anymore? Well, like, a lot of guys don't like to play young players, like these older coaches. Even look at Tippett when he was here. He was very hesitant to give the younger players more responsibility. Yeah. So, like, that's the nice thing about having a young coach who's coached these players in the AHL and stuff coming up and having the confidence and knowing what they bring and how to foster their talent a little bit more Mm -hmm. or help refine their game defensively because that's usually the big area that these young players struggle in is they know how to be offensive. They've, like, dominated for years in juniors and stuff, but they don't know how to play proper defense when suddenly the guy across from them is equal to or better than them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um. Yeah, so Jake DeBrusque was just my other idea. I think it'd be nice to have... Um, he, he's a good, pure goal scorer, and uh, he does like to uh, um, throw a little bit of uh, physicality into his game. It's kind of like the the part of the game that Pugliarvi's just not you know, providing right now. But um, it's, Do you think Pugliarvi can develop that in his game? I don't know. Like I've, I've it's been weird. Curious about that. It's weird because it it felt like when he returned from Finland, it was like oh he developed into a power forward for the first like five ten games, and it was oh my goodness like this is the the kind of player that we have now, and then it just disappeared. Yeah, so, well, I heard. I don't know if it was just a rumor, but during the playoffs, I, like I think it was after the first round or even after the first few games, um, the leadership core of the Oilers approached Pugliarvi and like asked him to play more physical to use his size to his advantage and things like that mm-hmm. and it might have been even later in the playoffs because in the last few games he was playing he was playing a little bit more physical and like grinding a little bit more out in the corners and things like that 
So maybe that it, there's truth into this rumor or whatever that I heard, but yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? Um, do you have another, uh, I have a one other one. Okay. And that is uh Jacob Chitrin out of Arizona. Ah, yes. Okay. I know there's been a lot of talk about that over probably the last couple of years, especially because Arizona's completely sold the farm to rebuild the team. I was staring at that name for a long time yesterday when I was coming up with this stuff. Well, they have Chitrin and, like, Keller and Schmaltz or something, and besides mm-hmm. that, they don't really have any long-term contracts on that team. Well, they got to clear up room for Austin Matthews in two years. So True, true. Yeah. And when they have Connor Bedard next year coming yeah, in yeah. and stuff, you know, they need that room. Right. But, yeah, like, I think he would be a good fit on the team. He would fit nicely behind Nurse. I don't know if he could play offside. He could maybe even play in the top pairing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I like to preach like left side, right side. I was going to, yeah, yeah, go on. But with that being said, like you look at a team like Tampa Bay, for example. Yeah. Their left side is Hedman, McDonough, and Sergachev. Yeah. So those are like their three best defensemen, and they're all like, they're all lefties. They all play left side. So I think you can make it work as long as those players are good enough to not necessarily make up for their partners, but Mm. to still, I don't know, be effective even though they have those partners. And then in a pinch, in the end of a game where you're trying to get a goal or you're trying to shut down a lead, you can put them both out there. Mm-hmm. And I think that would be I think that would be a great fit on the team. So that's going to lead into my, my question to you. Do you feel like left side, right side, left shot, right shot is a big um, kind of tool in terms of figuring out who needs to be on your team? I think it's useful mm-hmm. in some senses. Like, I've never played defense in hockey or anything like yeah, that yeah yeah but i have heard that like in the defensive zone it's a lot easier to move the puck like when your handedness is on the same side of, of the ice as you are mm-hmm. it's easier to like make passes across the ice and like up the boards and things like that so it puts less pressure on you defensively meanwhile if you're lefty you're like picking up the puck on your backhand all the time um i think offensively it could be helpful in terms of like cross across like east west passes so you can get one timers off more easily Mm. but even in the offensive zone if you're like guy behind the net wraps it around the boards up to the point to you right Mm -hmm. you're taking it on your forehand it's a lot easier to crowd that puck than if you're taking it on your backhand and having to like move it across to your forehand to be able to get a shot off okay that's i think that's kind of the main reasoning for it and i kind of find it funny i think it was 2012 when canada went to the olympics where Babcock was the coach, and he made such a big deal about handedness. I know. And, like, matching up, like, Weber and Doughty, lefty-righty, things like that. And I think that was kind of the start where people really started taking that seriously. Yeah. Or at least it kind of spread a little bit more. Um, And I think it's important, like I mentioned. But Mm. at the same time, I think, like, if you have, let's just say we had three good left defensemen, you can run all three of those pairs pretty effectively. You don't really have to shelter anybody for the most part. That's fair. I think where my um, my thoughts come into it is it kind of depends on the, the strategy that you're playing with. Um, I'm a big believer that if you're going to have two-point shots, like obviously it's not going to work with the Oilers the way they, they run their kind of umbrella power play with the bumper in the middle and then the three guys on the outside. Um, but like normally when you have two defensemen sitting on your power play the only thing that i'd like to see is kind of playing on your off wing so you have a right hand shot on the left side it opens up for the one timers but um other than that like i'm i'm kind of indifferent when it comes to that but there the thing is with that being said there's some players that they they struggle like a right-handed shot playing on the left hand side and i think uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think we, we saw that with Justin Schultz like um, when when he was here trying to be moved around to try and fit the needs. So Yeah, that's true. And like I think it's important to be able to efficiently play like similar style and skill level games on like both wings. There's a reason why Chris Russell gets a lot of value. Yeah. Because he can play both wi- like both sides is what they say anyways. So like I don't know. I think it's important. It makes players more comfortable. It helps younger players come in. If you've played left side, historically, you don't want to come up and suddenly playing right side and being put in uncomfortable situations where you're on your backhand when you're used to being on your forehand. Mm-hmm. It makes it easier transition. So, like, I can see reasons why we would not want to trade for Chitrin. 
But with that being said, I think it would be useful to consider it at the very least for just having better defensive players. Yeah. That's what this team needs is better defense. And like, I'll sit here and argue left, right all day, but I'd rather have like Chitrin on our left side as our second pairing defenseman than Duncan Keith any day. Yeah. Yeah. I would, uh, I definitely would agree there. Well, and with Woodcroft's system, I'm just going to continue for a second. No, go for it. With the way Woodcroft plays, he likes he doesn't overplay his top pairing or whatever. He tries to play them fairly equally, especially mm-hmm. his two top pairings. And I can see like a Chitrin-Bouchard pairing being a lot more effective than Keith-Bouchard, for example, were in the playoffs. They like playing, let's just say, Nurse's pairing pace plays 22 minutes, and the Chitrin pairing hypothetically plays 20 minutes. Yeah. Like it's not that much of a difference. They're still playing the same amount of minutes essentially, and I think nowadays you can't just have like two t- two pairings and then your garbage third pairing that you throw out against the other team's fourth line and hope for the best cuz the other team's fourth line might only play 5 minutes a night if at all. Right, right. Um so back to your uh your comments there. What do you think it would take to land him? Well, at a minimum it would be the first um, I'd like to include probably a cap dump of some sort. Yeah. And they would want, at the at a minimum, they would want probably a defensive prospect to hopefully fill that role. And I'm going to keep using Sam Rukov as that prospect because I think he was passed in, on the depth charts by both Broberg and Niemelainen. So I don't think he has that much of a chance to crack the roster outside of injuries next year. So I would say a first, Samarukov, and let's just say Fogel. I was looking at, so I just pulled up Arizona's cap room. I thought they were eating a lot of dead contracts, but it doesn't look like they are. A lot of the dead contracts died this year, or over even the last few years. Like oh. I think it was Prongers and Datsuks and Hosas. I think those have all, uh, those have all ended now. Yeah, because the only one that's sitting on the books right now is Oliver ekman Larson, And that's just cap retention, too. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Something well, to consider. Yeah, like, exactly. Arizona has lots of cap room. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, let me bring you to a ridiculous, actually crazy trade on cap-friendly. Is this the... Uh... This is the trade proposal function? This is the trade proposal function. This one sees the Edmonton Oilers dumping Yesapuliarvi and Evan Bouchard to Pittsburgh in exchange for John Marino and Tristan Jari. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Like, yes, Jari, it's like our the one listener commented on Twitter that he would like to see Jari in Edmonton. Yeah. But, like, John Marino left Edmonton for a reason. Like, why would he want to come back in the first place? Why would we want him back? Yeah, I I mean, you get your goaltender, but you get John Marino at $4.4 million, which is kind of an insane contract when you think about it. And to dump two prospects that are unbecoming, I understand the Oilers are in a win-now mode, but that does not put them anywhere closer to where they need to be i i think anyway no i think like isn't not to, now I'm, I'm gonna feel like a hypocrite why but like i'm pretty sure john marino's a lefty too so we're just making a bigger hole on our right side to put another lefty <laughs> on a roster like i do really feel like a hypocrite after saying all oh, what i just went on that tangent about but yeah that's that's a brutal trade like right-handed shot okay he's right-handed so it's yeah. it's okay then but like if we could bring marino in without giving up bouchard that'd be cool yeah. But, like, if you replaced Bouchard in that trade with Tyson Berry... Yes. Then I would be... Consider. Yeah, I yeah. would consider it more. And maybe maybe uh, they would consider it as well, because they're in the twilight years of Crosby and Malkin's career. Maybe they're looking for a guy with more experience to come run the power play and kind of be a little bit of a veteran presence on that team, not bringing in two rookies that don't exactly fit the <laughs> timeline of the, of the team. Yeah, there's... There's so much to that that, I, yeah, I could see it more realistic if Barry came um, out of it. But, yeah, it's it's a long shot. There's another one here. It's a three-way trade with the New York Rangers and the Winnipeg Jets, eventually landing the Oilers with Connor Hellebuck. Just just Connor Hellebuck. Out the door, you see Yessa Poliarvi, Stuart Skinner, Philip Broberg, the first-round pick of this year, and the second-round pick of next year. 
This trade, I was looking at this too while you were talking about the last one. Yeah. The only way I could see something like this happening is if they replaced the Broberg part of this trade with like, sorry to say it again, Samarukov or something like that. Yeah. Then I would I could see it. But outside of that, it doesn't seem realistic. And this is definitely this is a three-way trade that also involves uh, Winnipeg trading Mark Shifley over to the Rangers. And that's where Stuart Skinner would eventually go as well. Um, so that would this would entail that the Jets have accepted their fate. They say, screw this core, and we're, like, resetting again. Okay, so I'm going to ask a vulnerable question here because I, I feel like I'm out to lunch here, but I don't know if I'm living on an alternate universe, but is Connor Hellebuck actually that good? Like, he's, that he's, you're getting five assets for it? I think so. You think so? I mean, we played against him. He's, I, I, he's yeah. a great goaltender, and he's playing against this or behind a so-so defense in Winnipeg. Not that he's going to come and be behind like the 2000s New Jersey Devils defense all of a sudden, but he's a good goaltender, and he can steal you games. And he tends to not shit the bed. Like his worst is probably like Miko Koskinen's average or something like that, and Mike Smith's average mm-hmm. is like his worst possible game. Well, his ceiling is like. Shishterkin ceiling when he's playing on his game. So it's not a good comparison because Winnipeg had a shit year. Um, but Hellebuck compared to the Reimer comparison that I made, also on a shit team, I'd like to add. Um, Hellebuck, 2.97 goals against average. Team stat, sure. Um, Reimer, 2.9. How many games, though? Uh, 66. Reimer had. 48. Okay, so there's a little bit of a deviation there. A 9.11 save percentage for Reimer in the 48 games. A 9.1 for Connor Hellebuck. Difference being $4.5 million. I would still take Hellebuck. Yeah. Like, he's... He's a proven player. Reimer, like, you're, you're, these well, were his stats yes, last year, yes. Yeah, yeah. But historically, over the past few years, his stats have not been that good. Well, so, no, maybe maybe I should word my um, argument a little bit different. But, like, if you're going to compare those two, I'm not saying, like, I'm not saying James Reimer is Connor Hellebuck. What I'm saying is, do you pay four additional assets for Connor Hellebuck compared to what you get for James Reimer. Well, if we're going to this trade, like yeah, there's yeah. a there's a reason why originally I didn't have this many assets in it cuz I do agree like Sorry, yeah. I don't think it's point. worth yeah. putting holes all over your roster just yeah. to bring him in. And it's similar with like the Gibson trade, which I'm still interested in, mm-hmm. but like I'm not overly interested in going over like three assets for him. Okay. Or, unless there's cap dumps involved. Like, I could see this trade if we also included, like, a Cassian cap dump or something mm-hmm. like that. Or something along those lines to free up some salary. Because this trade right now, we're moving, like, two RFAs and $850,000 of uh, cap hit under Philip Broberg for $6 yeah. million. Like, now we have to move out a bunch of money or else we're fucked. So yeah. you'd have to find a way to make make it even in this trade. So we'd probably have to get some sort of other player that has a decent contract back and give up like a Cassie and, and Barry or something to even out the the salary. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I do have to note that. Yeah, I guess I was premising this off of the trade that was proposed, not by you. So um, it's not as if you, you gave that... Um... Well, then I don't even so. remember what I mentioned earlier, so I could have said that, and I apologize. No, I no, it, it definitely but, wasn't five assets. Like that's that's a lot. No, it's a little bit much. Like I don't know if you removed one, if not two, of these assets, I would be able to stomach it. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't include second round pick because that's worthless compared to the other four things. Yeah, but yeah, um, I, I just don't think that would be worth it for Edmonton. I don't think so either. It, so the other just trade I want to to consider is the john gibson thing like do you go out and pay for me i don't know what it is but i feel because it's in the same division i think the oilers would pay more for john gibson than they would for connor hellebuck that's true but also it's still west and west so that, i guess that may yeah. play. if it's not the same thing as if it was west and east yeah um but yeah it's the same thing with gibson though you look at those stats compared to like reimer for example 
his stats just don't stack up because he's struggled. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. It's you're not gonna. Edmonton needs to find a diamond in the rough per se, but it's going to be really hard to do that, and it's just pure luck. Yeah. Otherwise, so I just don't think that it's. Is it worth giving up a shit ton of assets for a goalie? Like, yes, we've complained about goalies for years, mm-hmm. but I don't know. It feels like the amount of goalies who've come through here and been successful, like outside of Cam Talbot, has any goalie come in here and been, like, super successful? But it goes back to your fucking Dustin Schwartz comment. Like, do you not see a fucking commonality here? Well, I know that a lot of people have complained about him in the past, and... It does feel like with all the regimes that have went through over the years, like mm. how is he still there? There's a reason why I think there was the one season Koskinen went back to Finland and got a separate goalie coach because I don't know if he just didn't want to work with Dustin Schwartz. But like, and I, I feel bad because like I hate like promoting for people to lose their job because it's their you know their livelihood. But in a case like that where. You know, you haven't had consistent goaltending for 10 years, and there's one, like, common denominator. Sorry, pal, but, like, you got to reinvent the wheel. You got to try something. I think the common denominator here is that they all live in Edmonton. (laughs) That's the problem. It's us. (laughs) But, yeah, at the end of the day, like, yes, there's been goalies who've come in here and been both bad with Edmonton and elsewhere. There's been goalies who've come here and been mediocre, but then pretty good elsewhere, like Dubnik, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it feels like there's something with the team that's off. It might be the fans and the media and the pressure that's put on goalies when they come here. Like, I'm sure playing in Minnesota versus Edmonton is a lot more chill, Yeah, to say the least. So it could help with that. And I still think, like, has our defense been good in the slightest over the past, what, 17 years since 05-06? Yeah, that's a good point. So, like, playing behind a shitty defensive, maybe not system, but just not overly defensive players over the past few years has probably been a struggle for a lot of goalies who come in here. Yeah, Chris Pronger really put a crucifix on this this team. It really seems like it. His wife cursed us as she was leaving the city. (laughs) She really didn't want to be here. I'm going to actually look this up while we're uh, um, discussing this. I, I know we mentioned we we're going to go through the, the Oilers lineup, but we're, we, we're can 40... do that an, we can do that another time. Exactly. We're going to have so many dead days this summer, so we'll get into that another day. Um, I just wanted to take a look because I know the Oilers' defense is something to note um, during that run. You had Marc-Andre Bergeron, Corey Cross, Matt Green, Chris Pronger, Matthew Waugh, Alexei Semenov, Jason Smith, Yaroslav Spachek, Steve Steos. Like, it keeps going and going. Igor Ulanov. The thing is, that's like, like eight decent players, though. Exactly. Like, you have depth. You're bringing in um, um, the equivalent of whatever the Oilers are throwing out now on their second line as your seventh or eighth defenseman it's it's kind of crazy so yeah like you haven't really had um defense this solid well that's the thing it's just been kind of for years we're trying to like stitch all these issues with like a band-aid bringing in like uh nikitin Mm -hmm. and shit like that where there's these players who like maybe had one good season somewhere but then just fall back to earth when they're put into high positions of responsibility in this team even look at justin schultz where he played for edmonton and struggled because we were playing as as a top pairing defenseman he goes to pittsburgh and suddenly he's just like you get to focus on the power play and to be offensive and he's putting up like 60 points and wins a cup or two cups yeah so well so i'm just looking i know that the the oilers and people might shit on me for this but the oilers had a really good defense core in 2010 they had nobody that could score goals, but they had a good defense core. They they were betting the farm on Gilbert Brule to fucking light things up. Oh, but I love Gilbert Brule. <laughs> their back end had Lubomir Visnovsky, Ryan Whitney, Jason Strudwick, Laddie Schmid, Sheldon Surrey. Like, it wasn't anything. It's just, I think that may be the last solid year that the Edmonton Oilers had with defense, but ever since then, it's been kind of... 
See, the thing with that defensive core that you just named, though, yeah, it's a lot more like offense-oriented. That's true. Though. That's very true. When you have guys like Surrey and Whitney, yeah. and even, like I think, Tom Gilbert, too, like they're more offensive-orientated and less heavy defense. Mm-hmm. Um, you had a young Jeff Petrie, too. Um, <laughs> so, that like, I don't know. I think this team has been crippled by trading away talent and mismanagement of... Yeah. pro scouting in particular yes. and understanding and nurturing the talent that we have. So it makes me hesitant to always like trade away some of these young defensemen, especially because we lose guys like John Marino, like Jeff Petrie, like Justin Schultz, for example, he could have been our Tyson Berry mm-hmm. that we've had for a while. Um, and I know there's other examples that I can't think of off the top of my head, but like I am very much with your point about the uh, the Oilers, um, in terms of trading people away before they, before they like, um, hit their stride. Like you look at Jeff Petrie, that's a prime example. But I think the one thing the Oilers have also been is super super bad with overpaying players based off of uh, a showing in one you know outing. Um, this might fucking get lit up like crazy, but you look at the Fernando Pisani deal. A fantastic, like, playoff, but really nothing outside of that. Well, it's it's overpaying death players. That's always been an issue with this team where suddenly we're strapped with contracts for these third, fourth-line players just because they had one good season or something like that. Mm-hmm. Instead, like, currently the way that we're doing outside of the casting contract is we're we're top heavy well, with our exactly. money, exactly. Yeah. Which is the way you need to do it. You pay your talent, and you fill like the other players are really replacement level players. So you fill them with cheap, like um, minimum contracts from free agency. You bring in your rookies on their entry level contracts, and you fill those roles. And I don't want to say hope for the best, but that's really what you're doing. Yeah. Because outside of that, how are you going to afford a team? Like, look, even at Tampa, like we've talked about them multiple times. They're giving their young players a lot of responsibility. There's a reason why, like, Braden Point comes in and Anthony Sorelli comes in. Matthew Joseph came in. Like, all these young guys came and made an impact on the team. Yeah. I'm sorry if anybody can hear my computer. It sounds like oh, it's going like, to explode. What? Yeah, yeah. It's as hot as we are in this room. But, no, no, you make a great point. Um it's giving that that leverage and letting them to actually grow it's just it sucks when you overpay son who doesn't really and like i understand um pisani ran into some issues like some health issues later on um that's not something that the oilers could have foreseen or anything like that uh but it's just it sucks when you pay like a cassian that much money or when you pay the list is endless the list is endless so um yeah, just uh, wrapping things up here. Um, well, as I, as I mentioned, we'll get into the uh, the the Oilers draft stuff. We have two weeks heading in to the uh, the NHL entry draft, which starts on the eighth, I do believe, the seventh or the eighth. It says the seventh, but I don't ever remember a draft starting on a Thursday. Well, it's kind of weird because the season's still a little off. Yeah. So. And um, I believe they're also, if I'm not mistaken, they're doing, are they doing everything in one day instead of doing the first round in one day and then the oh, second to seventh round the next day? I have no idea. I believe I heard that that's what they're doing. I may m- be misremembering or misheard something, but either way. Uh, begins on Thursday, July 11th and ends on Friday, July 8th. That is, that's, that's new. Wait, that what? That is new. You said it starts July 11th and ends July 8th. <laughs> Did I say that? Oh, yeah. Jesus. I was like, wait. I, you seventh, meant seven. The seventh. Seven eleven. Like, Slurpee's on the mind. Um, I could go for a Slurpee. It's fucking hot in this room. I Jesus could fucking Christ. go for a Slurpee. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going for Slurpees after this now. Um, yeah, so it starts on the seventh. and uh, goes agency to the agency also starts in five days. Shut the fuck up. I believe. Maybe Free it's agency the... starts before the draft? I think so. It was July 1st. How does that fucking work? What what do you mean? The drafted players don't play on your team. But the trades are all based off of Are they? Oh my god. You're you're can you hear all the rapid typing going on right here? <laughs> we need to Google things <laughs> what quickly. What the fuck? July thirteenth. 
July 13th? Why is it yeah. July 13th? I thought, well, because you have to... Oh, wait, no, I'm dumb. Sorry, it's the yeah. buyout window that opens on oh, the first. Oh, okay, okay. I was like, but you need the room to sign your RFAs and offer... Yeah, no, it makes I'm sense. out here spreading misinformation. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. Um, what I was getting to is, have you watched any of the, the Mem Cup? I've watched a little bit of it, mostly the highlights. Yeah. And... Borgo's lighting it up. Borgo which is, is great. insane. And yeah. I also saw this player who had the most insane last name I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> Did you see his last name? No. His name is Loris Raffenomezantosoa. <laughs> it's I think is about, it wrapped down his like arms. I th- I haven't seen. I was looking for pictures of his jersey and I couldn't find the back. Oh my of him. goodness. Um, but yeah, his name is just crazy. It's like 15 letters long. I don't know how they could possibly fit that on a jersey. It, it's so funny when you look at some of the names like um i know i forget who it was back in colorado like in 2001 ish they had a player with a like a double last name oh i don't know why it's stumping me everyone's probably like screaming in their cars right now but um his because they arch it it was almost like this just big like fucking upside down u on the back of his jersey with the way his name just arched from like middle of his back to the middle of his back uh, it's pretty funny. Well, but. that's like when we had uh, Magnus Pajarvi Svensson, Svensson or yeah. And then he just like finally adopted Pajarvi, yeah. Yeah, he's like, fuck that. We're not <laughs> fitting this on a jersey. Too funny. Too funny. But, um, yeah, other than that, I was nervous how we are going to fill this time, but we've done pretty good. And we didn't even, we missed like half the stuff we wanted to talk about, so we can keep stretching this out. Because that stuff was less pressing to talk about. What, what's that stuff? Well, it's like the uh, the line thing you were talking about. Where oh, we're yeah, gonna yeah, go yeah. Some, yeah. We're going to do that in the future. We're going to do some all-time lines for uh, historical Oilers doing a snake draft versus each other. And yeah. then compare teams and see who would win. Exactly, exactly. Um, another week. We're, we're into the dark days of summer, man. Um, but, uh, yeah, that'll do it for episode 10 already. Look at us go.